Welcome to the daily VFN Radio Highlights, where we're keeping the conversation light at VFNTV.com. Enjoy. But I want you to look at this quote, this particular quote by uh, Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton, is so important. He says, whenever you remove a fence, always pause long enough to find out why it was put there in the first place. We've got to go back and look at our Constitution, mm-hmm. and it comes from the root of the Magna Carta, which is 400 years ago, and two, two billion people are benefited from this reality of the Magna Carta. Take a look at this now. At the core of America's judicial system is the notion that no ruler, no government official, or elected leader is above the law. It's a tenet recorded in every one of our founding documents, but that revolutionary idea didn't originate here. It came from a 13th century peace treaty that has shaped the free world for 800 years. The Magna Carta today, the principles contained therein, affect the lives of nearly two billion people in over a hundred countries around the world. There are only four surviving original copies of the 1215 Magna Carta. One of them is currently on display at the British Library in London with two of its much younger but more famous 18th century cousins, the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Bill of Rights. In the Declaration of Independence, you have America standing up to a tyrannical king, but people are ironically looking back to Magna Carta, which is, of course, a document granted originally by an English king. You describe it as Britain's greatest or most important export? Eight of the ten in the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the Constitution of the United States, are straight from Magna Carta. Magna Carta, Latin for Great Charter, was drawn up at a time when the divine right of kings and the feudal system was the law of the land, whereby a monarch's right to rule was not bound by any earthly authority, but came directly from Almighty God. There was only one lawmaker, the king, and that meant life or death. It meant imprisonment. It meant all sorts of penalties that could be whimsical and in King John's case, it was whimsical. He abused his power to such a degree that he became one of the most loathed and reviled rulers in English history. Crowned at Westminster Abbey in 1199, he inherited the throne from his brother, Richard the Lionhearted. Unlike his brother, John was inept, greedy, corrupt, and showed mercy to no one. In the first five years of his reign, he lost most of his inherited lands in France through military and foreign policy blunders. Chronicler Gervais of Canterbury called him John Softsword. His wars were unpopular and costly, so he placed heavy tax burdens on his subjects to finance them. He was very good at fundraising. He was selling off widows to widowers and instructing them that they had to marry this woman, and if they didn't want to, then he'd fine them. If he did want to, he'd take uh, money for it. In the meantime, she might try to bribe him to stay single because she couldn't stand the sight of the particular chap he was offering. And so he was collecting money from all three. If the barons owed him money, King John took their children as hostages until full payment was made. He would also degrade the wives of his noblemen with lewd and lustful behavior and added insult to injury with more taxes. And that was the thing that really led to 
the theme of no taxation without representation. He tripled their taxes. Perhaps his most insidious offense was his abuse of individual rights. He meted out judgment and punishment without due process. When his Welsh barons threatened rebellion in 1212, he had 28 of their sons hanged. Matthew Paris, a 13th century historian, famously wrote, Foul as it is, hell itself is made fouler by the presence of King John. The political climate in January of 1215 boiled over with revolt among his beleaguered yet well-armed barons. They confronted the heavily guarded John here at London's Temple Church and demanded that he fulfill his sworn oath and restore the ancient liberties granted to them a century earlier by King Henry I. According to one historian of the time, John scoffed and vowed he'd never grant them liberties that would render him their slave. A seriously tense and divided standoff ensued. By spring of that year, the barons renounced their allegiance to the crown and took its capital, London. With John the soft sword cornered and forced into negotiations, he chose a serene meadow called Runnymede. King John met with the barons here in this open field at Runnymede along the banks of the Thames River, two miles south of Windsor Castle to make peace. It was on June 15, 1215, that he affixed his seal to the Magna Carta, the Great Charter. The peace treaty, originally called the Articles of the Barons, contained 63 clauses that limited the king's powers in matters of the church, courts, trade, taxes, and individual rights. So it's a potpourri of all sorts of things that are terribly important, but the absolute principal thing is the elimination of the right of divine rule of a king. The following year, King John died of dysentery and was replaced by his heir, the boy king Henry III. Under wise counsel, King Henry amended the articles three times. It was freely issued by the new king, Henry III. So it was free from the charge that it had been issued under duress at the field of Runnymede. But I think the most important thing about Magna Carta, sort of holistically, is that it established the importance of the principle of the rule of law. Magna Carta influenced centuries of English law and laid the groundwork for establishing individual rights. There's women's rights, actually in the Magna Carta, a privilege of a widow not to be forced to marry without her consent of women's rights. Same thing with children. There were children's rights in it. In time, many of the articles lost their relevance, but there's one today that remains the bedrock of America's judicial system. The key clause, which is buried in the middle of Magna Carta, it's not given any particular prominence in the document itself, but guaranteeing access to justice and the right to a fair trial. And that last clause, which is the one that's really stood the test of time and that people have looked back to over the centuries ever since, that's the one that's really at the heart of Magna Carta's fame today. Through the writings of Sir Edward Coke and others, Magna Carta and its ideas made their way to the shores of the New World, where again the king's subjects were on the verge of revolution. No taxation without representation. That's very important. It was, of course, the battle cry of the American Revolution. 
So they definitely looked back to Magna Carta as the embodiment of ancient rights. A medieval historian said of King John, he feared not God, nor respected men. It was, however, out of his abuses that Magna Carta emerged and over time became the cornerstone of liberty, law, and democracy. I think it's amazing in this 800th anniversary year just how much national and international interest and excitement has been uh, generated around the Magna Carta and how it's moved from being a medieval peace treaty into one of the most famous and iconic documents in the world. For CBN, this is John Jessup reporting in London on the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta. Remember this. When you remove a fence, always pause long enough to find out why it was put there in the first place. When you look at the evil rulers that happened, that the reason why the Magna Carta came, up, came about and why the Constitution came about, when people want to rewrite it and create new facts and these things that are happening, right. you have to remember that it's that constitutional right that gives you the rights to operate as a free citizen in America. I want to pray with you. We're going to a close right now. You can find out more at VFNTV.com on that. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Father God, for all those that have gone before us that labored so intently, Father God, to be able to, to lay down something as plain and clear as the U.S. Constitution, Father God. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace to keep it, to know it, to maintain it, and to uphold it, God. And all the enemies of the U.S. Constitution, foreign and domestic, that you would take your angels and remove them from this nation, God, and from Washington, D.C., and anywhere else, Father God, that we'd have leaders that would protect our constitutional rights. And Lord, we ask you right now, Father God, that you would end abortion, send revival, send a third great awakening, we pray. In Jesus' name, God bless and Merry Christmas to you. You've just been listening to the highlights from VFN TV and the Data Radio program, where we're keeping the conversation light. Listen or watch more programs and check out the VFN Torch at VFNTV.com. Don't forget about our VFN TV app where no matter where you are, you can take the light with you and share with your friends. We want to thank our sponsors and partners who make this program possible. Take the time and support our sponsors. You can locate them at VFNTV.com and select sponsors. If you'd like to become a sponsor or a partner, you can do so at VFNTV.com. VFN TV and the daily radio program where we're keeping the conversation light.